with grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. One of my absolutely favorite things about Sunday morning, one of the highlights of my week, besides church itself, is our Bible class over there. By the way, you're a great group for Bible class. You got good questions and you're really right in there on the level. Some of you that have been attending it recently probably noticed something that I say often whenever the word therefore comes up, right? In Greek, it's un, but therefore is a big word in Bible study because it's, it, come, it means that there's a conclusion, something as a result of something else being true. Watch out for the therefore, as I'll always say. And, I, you know, I thought that I could say this even more concisely in a way that would stick in your head better. And I'm going to start using this in Bible class. Whenever you see a therefore, ask yourself, what is that therefore, therefore? Right? It's ergo in Latin. It's because of this. What is the therefore Paul's talking about in our epistle reading today? What is that therefore, therefore? He's talking about the implications of being in Christ. To be in Jesus Christ. The implications and, and the results of what it means for Jesus to be your Savior. That he took the initiative to save you and make you his very own. And the way of life that comes from being in him. There are consequences to what Jesus has done for you. You will never be the same. If everything is changed because of Jesus and what he did, we also can live accordingly. It's not a have to, that's the law. It's a get to. You don't have to live your life like you don't have Jesus. No more keeping score. No more trying to measure up. No more enoughness that you've got to prove by becoming a better version of yourself. Doing more, trying harder. Joel Osteen had a book 10, 15 years ago called Becoming a Better You. Well, the Bible says that we didn't need a better you. You needed a new you, and that's why Jesus died for you and made you new and clean and holy and righteous in him. The same old tired variations do more, try harder. That's Adam's natural religion. The religion of the flesh is to always do more, try harder. And we don't measure up. The law speaks this way. And the law always condemns. But walking in Christ is a whole different matter. This is the therefore that Paul has laid out for us this morning. This is what you were taught in the Christian faith. It's why we have kids learn the catechism, hopefully by heart, because it's a whole different way of living. It is not a textbook for learning information about Christianity. It is a handbook for living life in Christ. You don't have to save yourself because you can't. We trust in Christ. You are rooted and built up in Christ, not in your own works. So because of this, ergo, therefore, Paul lets list, loose a whole list of warnings in this area. There are things that the world, the devil, and your own sinful flesh will try to use to convince you that Jesus' work on the cross for you is not enough. It's not enough to save you. Philosophy and empty deceit, he lists. In first century terms, philosophy means Greek philosophy. 
The Greek philosophers argued vehemently that the physical world and the spiritual world are so disconnected from each other that God couldn't possibly be present in this world. God couldn't possibly be involved in your day-to-day -day life. He doesn't care about your sin, and he certainly doesn't care about your suffering. God and the spiritual, the physical world are entirely separate to the Greek philosopher. That, Paul says, is empty deceit. Arguing that God couldn't possibly be concerned with your life, either your struggles or your sins, that is deceit. It is deception. Because God is involved. God is not absent from us. He is not elsewhere. He is with his people. Jesus Christ is God with us. He is our Emmanuel. Human tradition, as Paul calls it, is not to be trusted. God is the one to be trusted. God is to be trusted, and he has revealed the deepest love and concern for his creation in the incarnation of Jesus and his suffering and death on the cross for us. Jesus proves that God is not absent from our lives in this world. He is Emmanuel. Paul says here, the whole fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in the person of Jesus. And that is the Jesus who was crucified, buried, risen on your behalf. He's a prophet, sure, but not just a prophet. A rabbi, but not just a rabbi. Israel's king, but not only Israel's king. Israel's God in human flesh, nailed to a Roman cross and killed in your place. Anyone who says otherwise to you, that that death is not enough, Anyone who says otherwise is lying to you. Anyone who says that God doesn't care about your body, your life, your reason, your senses, all your members, that person is misrepresenting God. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Jesus. The eternal God is present in this world and Jesus is living proof. And you... You have been filled in him. He's the head of all things. And everything that was lacking in you was filled in with Jesus Christ himself. He gave you his righteousness in exchange for your sin. He gave you his life in exchange for your death. Not with your works. Not with your sincerity. Right? I hate slapping adjectives on anything in the Christian faith. Oh, is your faith sincere? Are you truly repentant? Do you really believe? You have adjectives and adverbs, and all of a sudden you're back to worshiping yourself. Jesus did it all. You can spot the difference between true Christianity and false Christianity depending on who's doing all the verbs. If Jesus is the one doing the verbs for your salvation, that's Christian. Anything else is a lie. Not with your works, or your sincerity, or your adverbs or adjectives, not with your philosophy or human tradition, but with Jesus Christ and his righteousness. He is the head of all rule and authority. That necessarily means that nobody else is. So Paul gives a warning. 
Don't let anyone take you captive with anything contrary to what you've been taught. And that's precisely what it is, too. Captivity. You are free in Christ. Not free to serve the flesh, because that's actually slavery. But you are free in Jesus Christ. It's like Jesus himself says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And this freedom we have in Jesus is even more profound than our political notions of freedom and liberty. Because in the end, free Americans will still die. But you are set free from sin. And the power of sin is death. You are truly free eternally and will live forever in him. So don't become anyone's captive, Paul warns us, by believing anything contrary. By believing something contrary to the truth that Jesus is enough for your salvation. And to further demonstrate how present God is in the things of this world, how Christ is truly present with us, Paul connects the ministry and work of Jesus to something that each and every Christian passes through. Holy baptism. Jesus is there in the water. Baptism is not just some outward washing. It's not just water. It's not symbolism. And it's certainly not obedience to, to the law. It's the work of God. Making you into his beloved child. You being born again, born anew into God's covenant family, the church. Baptism, Paul says here, corresponds to circumcision. And if you remember your Old Testament at all, circumcision is not something that adults do to profess their faith. It's something done to eight-day-old babies. Paul calls baptism the circumcision made without hands. Because through baptism, you are born into God's family. You are also buried with Jesus Christ and then also raised with him in faith. You will never truly die because of your baptism. God is present in his creation, even in simple things like water, wheat, wine, human words. He is present in, with, and under all of these things because he is present in your life. Show me a civilization or culture on earth that can survive without water. There's never been one and there never will be. God is present even in the most basic of things. In baptism, Jesus is making you clean, new, and righteous. I love this text in Colossians. And I know, Jim, I'm sorry I didn't preach on the Lord's Prayer. Even though it's on our beautiful bulletin cover. I will someday again, I promise. I couldn't pass this text out up because it is so clearly laid out here. Baptism corresponds to circumcision in ancient Israel because circumcision isn't about the recipient's choice or about their works. It's about their birth into God's family. It happens in the Old Testament, eight days old, and thereby, thereby received passively by Israelite boys. But baptism isn't just for boys, it's for everyone. It is the new birth, the birth from above that Jesus discussed with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that we studied last month in our Bible class. And furthermore, baptism is not the improvement of decent people into good people. The Christian life as lived out in baptism is not a matter of making good people better. Or even bad people good. 
It is the dead being raised to life. My pastor, former pastor, used to say that we're all like armadillos. Right? Have you seen armadillos? Well, until a few weeks ago, I'd never seen one alive. He said that armadillos in Texas are born dead on the side of the road. And I, I believed it. The only live one I've ever seen was at the St. Louis Aquarium. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You didn't choose Jesus. You were dead. Dead people don't choose anything. Dead people don't get to choose to follow Jesus. He chose you. He scooped you up off the side of the road. Brought you home. Made you alive in him. That's what baptism means for you. You are alive now because Jesus is alive. That's what St. Paul says here. He took away your debt. He canceled it out. The debt that you owed because of your sin, he took that away from you, nailed it to the cross, and put it to death. There are no rulers and authorities on earth that can hold anything against you because you are blameless and righteous in Christ. No one can hold anything against you. If your sin can't be held against you, what can? So Paul warns, don't be deceived. Don't allow the judgments of anyone against yourself because God has already ruled in your favor because of Jesus Christ. The verdict is not guilty. The verdict is righteous. There is no law left for you to fulfill in order to save yourself. It's already been done. Whether it's about food laws or festivals or Sabbaths or anything else, no one can disqualify you because you are in Christ and nobody can disqualify him. The world around us is chock full of voices telling you that you aren't enough, that you aren't holy enough, you aren't smart enough, you aren't cool enough, you aren't righteous enough, whatever enough. You aren't tolerant enough, maybe. That's the new one. That is the devil's favorite accusation of all, that you aren't enough. Adam, Eve, you aren't godlike enough. Take this fruit. I, you'd be like God. They've never been less godlike since they ate. That moment when they believed the lie was the most godly they would ever be. You can't become enough by your actions. Hiding behind this concept of enough is a big fancy theological word, righteous. What ultimately matters is where you stand before God and God alone. Adam and Eve were as godly as they would ever be before they ate. To be righteous means to be in a right relationship with God, acquitted of all wrongdoing, having no marks or checks or strikes against you. And you can't do it for yourself. But Christ did that for you. Christ made you righteous. And therefore you are enough. You're enough for God. And you are enough for your neighbor. Are you perfect in this world? I'm certainly not, and neither are you. But you're free. And to the devil, that means that you are the most dangerous thing. Christians who are free and uncontrollable by him, who can't have anything held against them, they are dangerous to the devil because you are free. 
If you're free, then you're free to love your neighbor with a love that comes directly from God, that comes from Jesus Christ himself and flows through your life for others. If you're not worried about saving yourself with a list of do more, try harder, do this, don't do that, we don't drink and we don't chew and we don't go to the gals to do, if you are really free, then you're free to be whose God has made you to be in Christ. That's dangerous. That's a threat because those sort of people share Christ with their neighbor. You people are dangerous to the devil because Jesus is dangerous and you are in him and you bear him wherever you go. That is, of course, assuming you don't buy in the lies. Churches even spread these lies sometimes. If you think that Jesus' work on the cross isn't enough to save you, or the same wretches like you? If Jesus' death and resurrection are not enough to make you righteous, then somebody's lying to you. It could be the world. It could be the devil. It could be your own self. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's what Paul's therefore is there for. Jesus didn't save you on the cross to leave you alone now. He is with you wherever you go. You are righteous. You are enough. You are his. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding, guard your hearts and minds in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said,